1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we begin a, a new section really, a new topic. And our text this morning will be verses 1 to 3. Our text this morning will be verses 1 to 3. But I will read verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. And to one another the effects affecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle this text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher. We pray that again, you would protect your word and only what is true and right will be heard. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have a better understanding of spiritual gifts and we would have a better understanding of the uniqueness of them after we have heard from your word this morning. And so I pray that you will convince us of the truth in your name. Amen. Well, we're really starting a section in chapter 12 to, that goes through all the way to chapter 14 that is dealing with a subject that has, and at least in this time in history, become one of the most contested and controversial texts in the church. Well, at least it has been because we would have to say that though it was contested, Contested for a while, it's been really abdicated, I would say, from the correct biblical view. And dealing with spiritual gifts, there's an understanding that today in most of the church, they would teach you that all the gifts are available for you today. All the sign gifts and everything is, is a fair game. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, they're all available but I think as we go through this text and as we go through this area, we are going to start to get a better understanding of what God's gifts are, what's available for us, and then how we are to function as a body. And so as we start through this area, we're going to be dealing, and Paul is going to, again, writing to a church in Corinth that is confused about spiritual gifts. I think if we were actually to look at the, 
at the Church of Corinth, they were confused about a lot of things. They had a lot of, a lot of problems, and that gives us encouragement because if, if Paul was patient to deal with them, then God will be patient with us as we learn as well. Now, we have to understand that there was some confusion, and really we could say the first point that we have in our text is, is, is the confusion about gifts. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware there's confusion among you. And one of the things that as we, as we look at this text, we're, as we come to this text, we have to realize the background that has taken place with the Corinthians when it comes to gifts. Now, the Corinthians have all of a sudden been given gifts of the Spirit, and some of them seem rather spectacular at times. And as we read about the gifts, we don't have the background that they had. They are coming out of pagan religion. They were coming out of mystic religions that already had experiences that we would say were beyond the normal. For us, we look at these things and, and we think we don't think as deeply or maybe are even as confused by them as they were. And so there was mystery religions, and really all these religions we could trace back to the Tower of Babel, but these, these religions came into being in Greece. And they were, what was common to them and what was often indulged in is what we call ecstasy. Now, ecstasy is not what you feel necessarily when you kiss your girlfriend. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying ecstasy here is, is something else. Ecstasy is someone involved in a mystery religion who in, in, in mystery religion was cultivating a magical, sensuous communion with deity. In other words, you do anything you could do to get yourself in a sort of semi-conscious, hallucinatory, or sort of hypnotic spell where you would sensually commune with the deity and you would have a euphoric kind of feeling that would take place. And they assumed that that was union with God. So you've got, your, you've got people who are being saved coming to the church who now are, have coming from a background where this was their religious experience. They were looking for this ecstatic experience. And so you can imagine when some of these influences came into the Corinthian church, how it could cause confusion with spiritual gifts. One historian writes, the person was brought into a mystic condition in which the normal function of personalities were in abeyance and the moral striving which formed character virtually ceased or relaxed while the emotional and intuitive were accentuated. This was their religious experiences. This was the height of, of where they went. Listen to this. It was a state of induced euphoria induced on someone so that they became semi-conscious. Now they were able to do this, both of which might be induced by vigil, fasting, tense religious expectancy, whirling dances, physical stimuli, the contemplation of sacred objects, the effect of stirring 
of stirring music, inhalation of fumes, such as happened, and such things were happening at the church of Corinth. Hallucinations suggest and other means belonging to the apparatus of mysteries. So does that sound a little bit familiar? Does that sound familiar? Like, all, like we think this is new, right? We think this is somehow new. We, we see this in religions around the world, but it's also starting to creeping into the, what we would call the, the dome of Christianity, right? We're using what? Pounding music, right? Repetition. The stirring effects of music. Now these, he continuing the quote, these two kindred abnormal states of consciousness, often indistinguishable, are united by Proclus when he speaks of men going out of themselves to be wholly established in the divine and to be enraptured. In ecstasy, the devotee was lifted above his ordinary experience into an abnormal consciousness of exhilarating condition in which the body ceased to be a hindrance to the soul. Ecstasy might be of a passive character resembling a, a trance or an active orgastic character of, of excitation resembling that of what Plato calls divine frenzy. So we're working ourselves up into a frenzy. We are, we, are, we are getting into this experience of being with God. According to the, the means of induction, the temperament of the initiate and his spiritual history, ecstasy might range anywhere from non-moral delirium to that conscious of oneness with the invisible and the delusion of, of painful individuality which marks the mystic of all ages. Further, he said, in ecstasy and the feeling of the soul from the hampering confinement of the body in its communion with the deities, powers arise within it of which it knows nothing in the daily life, hampered by the body. It not becomes free of spirit to hold communion with spirits, also released from transistency. It is endowed with capacity to behold what only the eyes of the spirit can behold, that which is removed beyond time and space. So you're starting to get a picture of what? People who were in worship and they were doing what? Working themselves up into trance, doing whatever was necessary in order, they thought, to reach a state where they had euphoria and a state where they were communing with the divine. In fact, they could receive, as it were, messages from the divine. And so under this euphemism of this is what they received. Prophecy, soothsaying, revelation, dreams, visions, such revelations being the direct utterances of deity. Sound familiar? People were trying to get a, what, a vision, a, a word from God, and they did whatever they could to get themselves worked up into a state so that they might be with him. Now we have to look at the Corinthian church and we have, to, we have to assume that some of this was influencing the church. Now we've just talked about the Lord's Supper. What were they doing at the Lord's Supper? Eating, getting drunk, right? Does this not sound that like maybe some of these things are creeping into the Corinthian church 
And they're starting to believe that somehow the Spirit of God is upon them. And God is speaking to them. So you can imagine all of this is going on in the church of Corinth. Can you imagine? Welcome to Bowman Baptist Church. Right? And so they have, so Greek religion invaded the Corinthian assembly and they wrote the letter and they said, they wrote a letter and said, would you please tell us how we can tell what's good and what's bad? Who's what? What's going on? We don't know. We've lost it. In other words, we know there's gifts of the Spirit. We know there are things coming on. But we also see all this other stuff. And we can't, we can't discern. We're confused because we don't know what is, what is truly gifts of God and what's not. In fact, when he starts now concerning, this is typically what he's done. If you remember back in chapter 7, at the beginning of chapter 7, he says, now concerning things which you, which you wrote. In other words, he's now answering a question that they have actually given to him. He's done this several times. Now, chapter 11, now concerning, right? He's now answering a question from them, a concern from them. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Here's the topic. Here's the topic that we're on, spiritual gifts. Now, you have to understand that spiritual gifts here is a word that is actually a neutral term. And it's, it can be either a, a masculine or a neuter here. And so some people have said, well, what this is means we're talking about spiritual people. Spiritual people. But if we go down to 14.1, we see, he said, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly, what? Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. So it would seem that we're introducing a topic that has to do with what? Spiritual gifts. He talks about spiritual gifts in context. Now, some are going to go all the way down to the end of 30, 38 and, and say, well, guess what? He talks about spiritual people with the same word. But in context, I think he's speaking here of spiritual gifts. He's speaking about the gifts that are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Those things that are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, now concerning these spiritual gifts, the gifts that you're wondering about, what, what are genuine, what are true? He says, brethren, and again, he gives, he gives us what we would call that, that nice gentle walk-in, right? Where he says, I'm, I'm with you. There's a concern for you. I do not want you to be unaware. He says, I want you to know about spiritual gifts and I want you to know what they're about. And he always says this when he wants to give them information about something that they've been misinformed. And so he says, I, I, want, I want you to know that this is important. And, and he always starts this way when he has something important to tell him. In other words, this is of great importance to you. What I'm about to tell you about spiritual gifts, you need to know. In other words, it's, this is one of those moments where you need to step up and, and you need to listen. And he says, you need to know this. It's important. 
Spiritual gifts and what they are are important. And you say, well, how so? Well, I want you to think with me just for a moment. How does the church function? How does the church function? When we get together, we are to exercise what? Our spiritual gifts. In other words, if you don't understand the gifts properly, how can the church function properly? How can the church actually come to maturity? Because it is the exercise of spiritual gifts within the context of the, of the body that produces maturity. And so he says, we, we need to figure this out. We need to figure this out. And so he says, I know you're confused, but I'm here to what? To tell you about it. I want you to know how important it is to have these gifts. And I'm going to now enlighten you so that you know what they are true and right. And then Paul begins to address, and he says, after understanding that they're confused, he says, I want you to know, first of all, the first thing I want you to know is that spiritual gifts can be counterfeited. I they can be counterfeited. Read with me in verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. And he says, listen. At, again, he's speaking to them before they were saved. He says, you were pagans. This is the word Gentile here. It could re refer to just Gentiles with, as opposed to Jews. But here he's referring to all unbelievers. And he says, any non-Christians, that's the same word that is used in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, you are to possess your own vessel, not in as lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, he's just referring here to unbelievers. So he says, you were pagan. Now let me characterize your paganism. He says, watch, you were carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Now you have a picture of a victim of someone in a system of religion who has little or no choice about what he is going to, about what he is going to do. He's being led, he's being carried away uh, to dumb idols. He's strictly a victim. The word carried away is a verb for, frequently used in the Bible leading, of leading a prisoner a con, a or a condemned person away to prison. It was what was used of Jesus when he was betrayed. When the soldiers grabbed him, they seized him and what? led him away under guard. And so the, the verb pictures someone who's caught in, and shackled and uh, who's dragged away to a dumb idol. He has no choice and he has no, he has little or no choice. It is not something that he wanted, it is something that has fallen upon him. And so this isn't, uh, they, they, they aren't choosing by intellect. They're not choosing freely to follow their mind, but they are helpless victims who know no better than to be led away to the constraint of a dumb deity. 
it's funny, and, and I just this thought. How often have you heard somebody say, I would become a Christian, but I don't want to give up my freedom. I'd, I'd become a Christian, but I don't want to give up my freedom. According to this text, it's the other way around, isn't it? You're actually a slave. You're a slave to sin. You're not free. You're a what? You're a prisoner. Romans six. You are a what? A slave to sin. That's the picture of the heathen and ungodly man. He's led away to worship a non-god, to worship a, a something that is not a deity, something that is just a dumb idol. He calls them dumb here, and he calls them dumb not, not in the way of intellect, but the idea of being unable to speak. They can't respond. They couldn't give any direction. They couldn't give revelation. They can't give any authorization, authority. They can't respond. They can't speak. They can utter nothing. But that is the plight of, of the unsaved or the religious man who does not worship God. He's led away by a dumb deity. Now, this is the biblical theme that occurs again and again. And that is that unregenerate people are hopelessly being led away by stupid deities and those who cannot utter, those who cannot speak. 1 Corinthians 10, 19. What, then I say, what, what say I then? That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols anything? But I say the things which the heathen sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons to no gods. Galatians 4.8 Nevertheless when we knew God when they knew God ye did not ye did service to them which were by nature no gods. Ephesians 4.17 This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as Gentiles in the vanity of their minds having their understanding darkened alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of, of their heart. They are blind, unable to see. So this is a tragic portrayal in scripture of an unregenerate man. He is, he is a victim that is a victim into evil by dumb deities. Well, at this point, you might say, well, what does this have to do with spiritual gifts? You've kind of gone off on a tangent. You've kind of been reading a lot of scripture. What does it have to do with it? The connection comes in the last phrase in verse 2. Even as you were led ago. Here is a verb that implies being led away. It is passive. They are victims. The use of the verb is in a sense in this passage has to do about an irresistible lead, leading. In 2 Timothy 3.6, the same Greek word verb appears again. For of this sort are they who creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away into various lusts. It implies leading away into a sinfulness there in Second Timothy. And I think that's the implication here. You were victims. You were led away by demons to worship false god. And the result is you got yourself in a pagan religion and you got yourself into an ecstatic religion that is particularly indulged in your society. 
If we could paraphrase this verse, Paul is saying this. You used to worship the way the pagans do, led away by demons to the ecstasies and euthanisms that characterize the mystery religions. That's what he's saying. You have brought those old patterns now into the church and are letting demons invade your worship. You used to do certain kind of worship. It was a kind of worship of being led away into ecstasy. It was a victim type worship. You went there and those demons got you and led you away. They carried you away. You gave up your will. And Paul is saying, listen, this is what's taken place. You have dragged this into the church. You have brought all of this into the church and you somehow think that this is true spirituality. You're getting carried away because you think true spirituality means ecstasy. That, that, that all of these f fancy things that take place, all of these expressions, this divine frenzy, and you think that's spiritual. And Paul says, the reality is it's not spiritual. It's demonic. He says, you need to recognize that because there are experiences, because people are frantic, that does not mean that that is the spirit of God. Experience is not what takes place that makes it from the spirit. Satan can counterfeit, right? Satan can make experiences. He can give visions. He can do all of those things. And Paul says, guess what? That's not where it's at. That's not where it's at for spiritual gifts. And so he says, that's not how the spirit works. When you see all of those frenzied behaviors, that's not of God. They, that what you're seeing is a reflection of a pagan style or religion that's corrupted. That's pretty harsh. But that's what Paul is saying. Listen. When you see all of that ecstasy and you see all of those visions and you see people trying to work themselves into a state and you see all of those expressions, he says, that's not the spirit. What you're seeing is people who are actually doing pagan worship. There's some seriousness here, right? This isn't just oops. You are actually bringing pagan worship into the church. And so when you see out of control behavior and you see gibberish and you see drunkenness in the spirit and you see all of these things. Paul says that's not reflective of anything that was been in the church. That's actually a reflection of pagan religion, a religions that have been around since the Tower of Babel. Well, he says, 
there's confusion, there's counterfeiting. And now he's really going to give us the test to show what is a genuine gift? What is a genuine gift from spiritual gift? What does it look like? How do we know? How do we cut through all of this? How do we actually figure it out? Because if, if there's all of these things going on and they seem, they seem spiritual and they seem like stuff is going on, how do we actually discern what's true and right? And Paul's going to give us one test that we can give here. It's not the only test, but it's a test that we can give to see if actually this is taking place. He says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. So he says here, I'm going to give you a negative test. I'm going to give you a test that you can you can put out there and you can set out and see, okay, what's is this from God or not? Now, on face value here, he says this. I'm speaking to you. He says that no one's speaking by the Spirit of God. In other words, someone who's controlled by the Spirit says Jesus is accursed. Now, this phrase has given theologians fits, and they have tried to fit this in because, I mean, after all, who would say that? Who, who would actually say that in church? And so some have said, well, actually, this is just a hypothetical situation, and it just, just hypothetically, and, and Paul's really not talking about utterances here, and, and this is, he's just saying if this did happen, we would know. Yet Paul seems to indicate here that that's exactly what's taking place. And if, if Paul is speaking in the context of them already bringing pagan religion into the church, it certainly would seem that he's talking about people who are standing up, presumably speaking in the spirit and saying things. And so they said, well, Jesus is a curse. That's the word anathema. So he's talking about Jews and, and how would Jews do this? And we could say this minimally, if, if many people were saved and, and the Jews were around and Paul was one at one time, what did they think of the Lord Jesus Christ? He was accursed, right? De Deuteronomy tells us that anyone who was crucified would be what? It's cursed. So it may have been a phrase that would be common even in the Jewish circles. But we would understand that the church here is primarily Gentile. So what on earth, how on earth can people saying that Jesus is accursed in the church and how do they get away with it? And at first you might say, well, that just seems so extreme. But error always comes into the church very carefully and very slowly, right? And it comes incrementally over time. And I bet you if we were to look back at some of the places that we have fellowshiped and, and the places where our churches have gone and even where our fellowships have gone, we will see incrementally that things that we would think were absolutely unbelievably clear in Scripture have all of a sudden been overridden. So it should be no surprise that, that a church would be capable of this. But what is actually going on? Well, of the 15 explanations that there are for this text, I'm going to give you the one that I believe to be the correct one. If we remember 
and and we've dealt with this in first john and we and, and peter there are those who are starting to teach and the, the beginning forms of gnosticism that there's a separation right that 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 the body is evil spirit is good and so how can god take on a human body that's just that would be corrupting god and so they are starting to say well actually Jesus is the human name and Jesus was a person who lived on earth and he had the divine spirit of Christ come upon him and when that that spirit came upon him he was you know he was the Messiah and then just before he died on the cross the Christ spirit left him and Christ died on the cross and essentially they began to deny the humanity of Christ And so they would say, well, Jesus, right? The body Jesus, the man Jesus, he's accursed, right? He's, he's, he's nobody because after all, we're worshiping the true Christ, the spirit of Christ, the God of God. And so you can imagine if these ideas are coming within the church and there's a sympathy towards this kind of thinking, when someone says Jesus is accursed, they're, they're, they're not talking about Christ, the God, the Messiah. They're talking about Jesus, the man, that, that obviously we, we can't deal with that. And so they are, they are coming in the church and they are literally attacking the person of Jesus Christ. And they're saying, listen, Jesus didn't have a human body. We know that the body is evil. And so they were really denying the historical Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. And so they said, he's accursed. And people in the church are thinking, well, that's what our philosophy teacher is teaching us, right? Body bad, spirit good, makes sense. And in the confusion of all of the gifts and, and all of the carrying on, if you're bringing in all that other stuff, then certainly this would seem to be okay. And what I want you to notice here, what Paul is doing in this text is he is moving away from experience and the sensational, and he's moving towards doctrine. How do you know if someone is speaking under the Spirit of God? And he says, and he will say in this next section, this is how you know. No one and no one can say Jesus is Lord except what? By the Holy Spirit. In other words, anything that comes forth from people's lips needs to match a proper understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Anyone who stands up and speaks something that is against who the Lord Jesus Christ is cannot be speaking in the spirit. And so he says, we know that someone is, is speaking by the spirit when they say Jesus is Lord. 
In other words, they have a proper understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And Paul says, you have been looking for the Holy Spirit in these super experiential experiences, which is experiential, I guess, eh? and, and, and these visions and all of these uh, trances. And he says, really, the Holy Spirit is moving not in mindlessness, but in your mind, in proper doctrine and a proper understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Now you notice this, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And you might say, but I've heard unbelievers say that Jesus is Lord. And again, he's not dealing here with some magical incantation where you, where you say it, and then automatically everything that you say is from the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that those who truly confess Jesus Christ as Lord, recognizing that what? Now notice this, Jesus Christ, Jesus is who? Lord, right? What's the significance of Lord? It's not just that he has the right to rule you, but it is the Old Testament word that was used. It was used to translate the Old Testament word for Yahweh. In other words, there has to be a recognition of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be a recognition of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we... What, what we're really and I want, I want you to see I want you to put this together as we're moving through this he's clearly saying we need to understand what spiritual gifts are we need to realize that they can be they can be deceptive and that they can be counterfeited and to, in order to know what they are you need to recognize that you whoever speaks must speak and, and be identified and recognize who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Which means, who does the Holy Spirit put on display when it comes to spiritual gifts? Jesus. Jesus, right? So when you're exercising your gifts, they should point to Jesus. And when you're exercising your gifts within the body, you're building up the body of who? Jesus. And so Paul says, here's what spiritual gifts are about. Here's where they're pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, listen, Stop looking for this experience. Stop bringing in pagan religion and recognize that spiritual gifts are discerned not by their greatness of display and experience, but rather if they are exercised in accordance to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. If the church would just grasp this, it would have a radical change 
on the way that it conducts itself. Because the Holy Spirit is not about displaying the miraculous gifts of healing and visions and trances and, and, and experience. The Holy Spirit is always about making much of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our, our spiritual gifts, no matter what they are, whether they are something that we would say is more public or more private, always must be used in accordance to what? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now we recognize too that as Paul writes this, he's writing there are sign gifts that are available in the first century that, that aren't available to us today. But even in the exercise of them, there was what constraint? Remember, Paul said that each one has what control of his gift, right? Each one is in control of his gift. In other words, you can't be mindless. You can't be in a trance. You can't be unfeeling. You can't be ecstatic. You need to be what? Sober-minded. Christianity is about the mind. It's not about experience. You will have emotions that flow from that. But it's about the mind. And Paul reminds us right here. It's about your mind. It's not about what you, some experience. It's about the truth that is demonstrated or proclaimed by the use of your gift. And so this morning, Paul says, I want, don't want you to be confused about these gifts. I want you to understand their uniqueness. They're different than what was used in pagan religion. Recognize that. Recognize that the, the working of the spirit is not like the working of demons. And that it is more important to measure content than experience. Let's close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that, again, reminds us that the Holy Spirit gives gifts, and those gifts are meant to be used in alignment with a proper understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory and to build his body. And so I pray that we would not look to experience recognizing that many of those experiences are counterfeit, counterfeited, but recognize truly what the working of the Holy Spirit is. I pray that you would protect our church and that you would help us to be those who exercise our spiritual gifts in accordance to your word. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.